morning, Winter Park. How's everybody here at Winter Park at Oviedo at Sanford? Everybody joining online. Happy Sunday. Everybody excited to be here today? Come on, Winter Park's fired up. You better be ready. Oviedo and Sanford. Winter Park is coming. Hey, if we haven't met, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here at Action Church. Uh, my family and I, we've been uh, part of the church since we launched back in 2014. And man, what a blessing Action Church has been to my family. I, I know it's a blessing to yours. And I'm just in amazement at what and what God is doing in our church, just unreal. Uh, what God is using this church to do in my own life, in my family's life, just incredible, incredible things. I never take that, never take that for granted. Uh, listen, I'm just going to be your substitute teacher today, all right? And so uh, I, I remember back in high school when there was a sub in the room, there was like a, a little bit of excitement in the air, right? Like you got excited, uh, you got, you, you were like, hey, we're going to have a little more fun today than we normally would. And so uh, a little bit of bad news, it's not going to be a movie day today, but we are going to have some fun. I can promise you that, okay? Uh, and so we're kicking off a new series today. We're calling it Uncommon. Uncommon. Everybody say Uncommon. Uncommon. Yeah. So basically, uh, in 1 Peter 2.11, uh, Peter writes to the church, he writes to us today, saying that we are to live as strangers, to live as foreigners. Some translations read, to live as aliens from another planet during our time here on earth. And so we're just going to call that, that verse, we're going to live uncommon. And we're going to spend the next couple of weeks kind of defining what are the ways that we need to live uncommon. Has everybody ever, anybody ever felt like God leads you to do some things that are just kind of weird from the world standards? Like, like God is leading you to do some things that are, are uncommon when you're looking at it from just your, your human lens. And that's really what this series is all about. What are the ways as Christ followers that our lives are supposed to look uncommon? And so today, we're going to start that journey by defining uncommon faith, uncommon faith. Uh, if you've spent any amount of time in church, chances are you've heard a message on faith before. And so I don't necessarily have a new topic to teach you today. In fact, I would say it's very common to hear a message on faith in church. I'd say it's very common to, to talk about faith in a small group. I'd say it's very common to, to read about faith in your Bible and in your devotional plans. But it's a completely uncommon thing to actually live a life of, of real, of genuine, and of authentic, authentic faith. And that's really the, the journey that we're going to take here today. And I thought it'd be a, a good opportunity for us just to start with a little bit of fun. You all right to have a little bit of fun here right out of the gate? Listen, we, we, we actually use faith on a regular basis, whether we recognize it or not. Let me just kind of give a couple examples of that. Has anybody been on a road trip and you just stop at this greasy, sketchy diner because you hopped on Yelp and Susan gave it 4.6 stars? Anybody been there before, right? And you're sitting in this diner and you're just praying whatever's underneath that deep fried breading is actually the meat that the menu says it is and not something they picked up on the side of the road. But Susan gave it 4.6 stars. I've never met Susan, but I'm trusting and putting faith in her review, right? We do it all the time. We do it all the time. Maybe your barista at your local uh, at your local coffee shop. You put faith and trust in them on a regular basis that they are going to make your drink the right way. In fact, just a couple of days ago, I was sitting in line at a local drive-through, uh, and the barista in the car in front of me makes the drink. I'm assuming it was the right way, and they they hand the drink out the window, and they fumbled on the exchange, and the drink got dropped and went all over the car in front of me's lap. The guy in front of me's lap. 
That's a bad day. That's a bad day. I was actually thinking I'm having a bad day until I saw that, and I immediately realized I'm not having a bad day. But we put faith. We put faith in the food service workers. I actually had a friend show me a picture of a, of a nugget they got from a local food chain, and they took a bite, and it was purple on the inside. It's disgusting. Disgusting, right? We put faith and trust in those people that are serving us in the drive-through, serving us uh, in those, those fast food restaurants, right? We put faith and trust in our iPhone. Come on, if, if you're using a droid, that, that's completely unchristian. We're going to talk about that later. That's the joke you have to make every time, right? You got to make it every time. It's just right there. You got to hit it. iPhone. Apple knows more about me than I know about myself. And I trust, I trust that they're keeping my information private. I know they're probably not, but I actually was thinking, I actually was honestly thinking this week, if I lost my phone, what would I do? And it actually was like, like stirring up a little bit of anxiety in me, right? Like we put so much trust, so much trust and faith in those phones. In fact, if you were to Google the word faith, you'd see words like assurance. You see words like trust. You see words like confidence and belief come up. And I think it's important just to, to start from the, from the right out of the gate here with a common definition of that word faith, right? I, I know at Action Church, we all come from, from different backgrounds. We all come from, from different faith journeys. And I think it's important whether you've just started following God or maybe you're not following God, or you've been following God for 30 years. I think it's important to have a common understanding of this word faith so that we can unpack some truths about it. And lucky for us, the Bible actually gives us a definition of this concept of faith, and it's in Hebrews chapter 11. Here's what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says. It says, now faith is the assurance. Everybody say assurance. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction, everybody say conviction, conviction of things not seen, assurance and conviction. Two words I think we need to to understand here and unpack here. The word assurance, that word assurance, it's talking about the the mental intellects of that word faith, meaning that you understand it and agree with it in your mind, that it's it's mental agreement, that it's believing something is, is true here. That word conviction, the second half of that definition, relates to trust. That means that that you not only agree with it in your mind, but you you also agree with it in your practice. And it's why that verse is so important to note. It's both. It's agreeing in the mind, and then it's agreeing in practice. It's it's assurance and conviction. Assurance and conviction. I want to just give you a picture of what this verse is, is saying here with this chair. Now, just to be clear with everybody here, I want to make sure we're all in agreement that, that this is a chair, yes? Yeah, it's a chair. It has four legs. It has these really trendy buttons, really nice. Uh, is that a camel? Is that a camel color uh, that it is? But it's a, it's a chair. And we all mentally are in agreement. Intellectually, we're agreeing that this is a chair. But we can't stop there when it comes to our faith. Here's what that second part of that definition is saying. The second part of that definition is saying that, that yes, we're all in agreement, that, but that this is a chair. However, however, I make it personal when I take the faith and I put it into practice and conviction and I sit in the chair. Now I'm trusting that this is a chair and that these four legs are going to hold me up. It's not just a concept in my mind. It's a practice 
in my physical body. Does that make sense? Like that's, that's the picture that, that this is painting in Hebrews. And that's why, that's why the book of James tells us that, that faith without action is what? It's dead. It's dead. We have to put our faith into, into practice. We have to have agreement with practice. And that's also why we, we see that faith is a, a critical step in our spiritual journey. It's one of the pillars our spiritual life is, is built on. And the heart of today's message isn't necessarily to define that word faith as much as, as it is to, to define what a lifestyle of uncommon faith looks like. And that's the journey that I want to take here because there's a story in the Bible that, that shows us a couple of principles that are, that are easy for us to understand, but, but maybe a little difficult and challenging for us to put into practice. There's a story that unpacks what life of uncommon faith looks like. It's in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, I'm going to have it on the screens uh, next to us as we read it, but if you want to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, we'll start to unpack it in verse 21. Here's what it says. It says, Jesus got into the boat again, and he went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please. Please come lay your hands on her. Heal her so that she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she'd spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realizes at once that healing power had gone out from him, and he turns around in the crowd, and he asks, who touched my robe? When his disciples, his disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? Jesus, are you, are you crazy? But he kept on looking around to see who'd done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened, to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. What a beautiful story. And this this woman reveals to us a couple of of principles on how to live a life of, of uncommon faith. I found myself saying often that the Christian life is, is learning how to live in the awkward. Here's what I mean. God's ways are not our ways. And God will often push us into awkward scenarios, awkward situations. Can you maybe relate to that in your own journey? God, God pushes you to do something that like in your own human brain makes you feel a little uncomfortable, makes you feel a little weird, starting a conversation with a coworker, maybe praying for somebody. Those things push me outside of my comfort zone and it's a little awkward. But we need to learn to, to live in that awkward if we really want to see God move in our lives. And that's what this woman shows us. That this, that's what this woman reveals to us is that uncommon faith is willing to take an awkward step. Uncommon faith is willing to take an awkward step. She was willing to take an awkward step, and it eventually led to her healing. Dr. Martin Luther King once said this. He said, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. The Tyler translation would read, just take the first awkward step. 
right? Verse 27 of this passage and of this story, it says this. It says she had heard about Jesus. She had heard about Jesus. See, chances are that this woman had heard the stories of of Jesus beginning his ministry healing people. In fact, before this woman saw Jesus in person, she had heard the stories of how he had healed leprosy from people from leprosy, that Jesus had stepped out of social norms to to touch unclean people and heal them. And, And maybe, just maybe, that stirred up a little bit of belief in her that he could do the same for me if I can just get to him. She'd heard about Jesus, and that was enough to get her to take uh, an uncommon, an uncommon step of, of awkward faith, right? Let's back up this story just a bit and unpack this woman's real journey because I think it's important to put some context to this woman and what she's actually wrestling with here. Because if we go to the beginning of the story, Jairus, ro- or, sorry, Jesus rolls up on a boat, and that wasn't like a like a cruise ship. It wasn't like even a nice boat. It was just a rowboat with his disciples. And as soon as Jesus steps onto the shore. There's a religious leader named Jairus that meets him, absolutely broken and falling at his feet. And if you have kids, you can imagine the, the heartache and the pain that, that Jairus is feeling. His daughter's completely ill and she's dying. And at any moment, it could be her last breath. Absolutely a mess. He falls at Jesus' feet, begging him to come, begging him to come heal, come to his house. And this woman is watching this happen. And this woman didn't have the access that Jairus had. Jairus was a religious leader. He was an influential person. He was at the front of the welcoming party when Jesus, is, uh, Jesus arrives. There's a crowd of people, and chances are this woman is, is dozens of yards away watching this whole scene unfold. And she didn't have the influence that Jairus had. She didn't have the resources that, that Jairus had. She didn't have the access that, that Jairus had. But she had heard about Jesus. And that was enough to to move her to take her first steps towards him. To make this woman's journey even more complicated, she was socially unclean, meaning this, that that anybody that that laid down next to her, like in, in a bed, anybody that sat next to her, anybody that touched her physically would have been deemed unclean as well. They would have been required by law to go bathe and represent themselves to the religious leaders before they were accepted back into society. This woman was not just physically unclean, she was socially unclean. And the only hope that that this woman had for healing was that this, this condition that she's wrestling with, this condition she's battling, this condition that she's exhausted all of her resources on, that she, it would stop for 24 hours so that she could bathe, and she could represent herself to the religious leaders and be accepted back into society. This woman had no hope for physical healing, and this woman had no hope for relational acceptance. What a burden. What a burden this woman carried. It would have been easy for this woman to to sit there and, and watch this scene unfold and think things like, man, Jesus has already committed his time to Jairus. I missed my window. Man, Jairus is a lot more important than me. I mean, he's a religious leader. That's who Jesus really wants to spend his time with. She could have thought, Jairus' daughter is 12. She's just a kid. I've been battling with this for almost my whole life. Maybe this is just my lot to carry. But she didn't. She didn't. She refuses to accept this disease as something that was going to define her. And she moves. She takes a step boldly to get to Jesus. Talk about some, some uncommon faith. 
You know, this story reminds me of, of a lot of the uncommon, uh, the, a lot of the faith that I've had to exercise, a lot of the awkward steps that I've had to take uh, in my own faith journey. Uh, and, and I can't help but, but think about uh, the time that I asked my wife, Kelly, to, to marry me, right? If you're married in here, go back to like the, the day you proposed. You were pretty sure, you were pretty sure they were going to say yes, right? There wasn't a guarantee. You were pretty sure. And I remember when, uh, when I was thinking about wanting to propose to, to Kelly, I actually wanted to do it uh, on this dock. I wanted to propose to her at the end of this dock where we actually had our first kiss. Uh, and some of you are looking at me right now like that's the most romantic thing I've heard. And others of you are looking at me right now like I can't believe you kissed your wife before you were married. Uh, and listen, I did kiss my wife before we were married, and I kind of liked it. And so <laughs> it was before I was a pastor, so it's okay. It's okay. But to, to facilitate this plan required me to go back to the house. This was a private dock, not a public dock. It required me to go back to the house, knock on the door, and ask the owner if I could use his dock to propose to my then-girlfriend in hopes that she would become my fiancé. Basically, I had to admit that I was trespassing on your dock months before, and I hope you're okay with that. Right? Easy, easy. So I, I can remember pulling up to in front of this house and, uh, and kind of sitting out in front of the house, just kind of like psyching myself up in the car, right? Like, like I don't know, maybe I had some Metallica going and I'm doing push-ups and just trying to, come on, here we go, here we go, here we go. I walked up to the, the door and I'm feeling pretty good. Like I, I, I'm, I'm locked in. I knock on the door and the door flings open and no joke, there's a guy standing there in his underwear. Like nothing else, just his underwear. And it didn't phase me. It would have normally phased me, but I was locked in. I said, hey, uh, sir, how are you? Um, listen, I, I need you to know something. A couple of months ago, I snuck out with my wife on your dock. Uh, we had a great first kiss, and I, I wanted to use your dock for proposing on her, to, to her, right? And he says, hmm. I think he was looking for, like, hidden cameras or something. I said, no, sir, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being dead serious. I, I, I really want to ask your permission for this. He goes, oh, okay, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, I tell you what, why don't you let me go put some clothes on? I said, yeah, that'd be great, that'd be awesome. And he came back out, and we sat down and had like an hour-long conversation, and uh, it, it led to Kelly saying yes, and uh, 16 years almost, right? And so that is, that, is the, that is the story there. And I know that's a silly story, and I know that, that like, there, there's real situations, there, there's real hard, difficult scenarios that, that many of us are, are, are facing, right? But I can't help but think that, that this woman felt the same way in terms of this. Is I, I can't tell you in that moment when I'm knocking on that door, when I'm having that conversation, that I wasn't scared, because I was. I can't tell you that I wasn't battling like some fear and some anxiety. I can't tell you that, that I wasn't sweaty, because I, I was all of those things. But I knew in my guts, I knew in my spirit that I had to do this, and I did it. And I took that, that awkward first step. And this woman had to have felt the, the same way. She had to have wrestled with those same, same thoughts. This woman didn't see the entire staircase. She only saw that first awkward, uncomfortable step, and she took it. Uncommon faith, it, it, takes, it takes first awkward steps. And maybe for many of you today, maybe that's, Maybe that's what you just need to hear today. 
is that God just needs you to take that step. I don't know what that uncomfortable or that awkward step is, but, but taking that step is what will allow God to unlock the things that you want him to do in your life. We've got to be willing to, to take that step. Uncommon faith, it takes awkward first steps. The next principle that this woman shows us about a lifestyle of uncommon faith is this, is that uncommon faith, it presses on. Uncommon faith, it, it perseveres. Verse 28 of this story, it says this. It says that if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. If I can just touch his robe, if, if I can just touch, if I can just touch. That word if, it suggests that there was going to be a journey from where she was to where she wanted to go. That there was a little bit of doubt in the back of her mind that she may not actually make it there. If I can just get to Jesus, then I know, then I know things are going to be okay. And the story later on tells us that she fought through the crowd. She pushes through the crowd. She, she presses on. She perseveres through the crowd to get to, to Jesus. Remember, she was unclean. Remember, she was a social outcast. Now, I would assume and imagine that, that this woman was doing her best to cover up her appearance, right? Maybe she had like a, like a hood on. Maybe she, she had something covering her, doing her best to disguise herself as she kind of tried her best to not touch people in the, in the crowd and try to, to just kind of snake her way the best she could to get to Jesus. I think it's safe to assume that on that journey, she got pushed, she got shoved, she got bumped, she got pushed back. And maybe even somebody in that crowd recognized her and cursed her and cussed her and said, what are you doing? Do you know who you are? You have no right to be here. But she pressed on. She continued moving forward in her faith, making her way to Jesus. I think that, that fighting through a crowd is, is such a great picture of you and I's faith journey sometimes. Has it ever felt that way for you before? Like, like you're trying to make your way to Jesus and it just feels like you're meeting resistance after resistance after resistance. It's almost like you're fighting through a crowd that's pushing back on you to go the opposite direction as you're trying to make your way to Jesus. It, it, we've got to understand and, and pull, some, pull some relatability out, out of that. I think it's important also to note that that word touch, the, the woman says, if I can just touch Jesus, that word touch, it means this. It means to fasten, to attach, to fix, to adhere to. What this woman was, was really saying is that if I can just fix myself to Jesus, if I can just attach my situation to, to Jesus, if I can just uh, put myself onto Jesus and fasten myself to Jesus, then, then I'll be healed. And that's why Jesus actually, that's why Jesus actually stops to address it. He stops and he, and he asks a question that's kind of odd in the moment, right? He, he stops and he looks at his disciples and he looks to the crowd and he says, hey, who just touched me? And on the surface, that, that's really a stupid question. And that's what his disciples are seeing. They're, they're seeing Jesus ask a really stupid question. It throws them back a bit because Jesus isn't a stupid man. Like, touched you? Jesus, what do you, what do you mean who touched you? We're, we're Thousands of people are pushing us everywhere. That guy just touched you. That guy just touched you. That guy just What do you mean touched you? And what Jesus was asking is, no, 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 no. You're seeing it wrong. I don't mean physically touched. I mean, who just fastened their situation to me? Who just fixed their situation onto me? Who just put their faith in me in a way that transferred something? 
right? And that, that's what Jesus is addressing. It's why when, when this woman finally comes forward, Jesus doesn't say your touch saved you. He says your faith has, has healed you. Let me clarify, Jesus healed this woman, not this woman's level of faith. But what Jesus was saying when he said your faith is what healed you, he said your willingness to fight through this crowd I know who you are. You had every excuse in the book to not be here, but you fought through it and you pushed through it and you had a willingness to take, to take pushback and to take resistance and to battle that and to come to me and to fix your situation onto me. Because of that, you gave me access to your situation so that I could heal it. And I healed you. Uncommon faith, it, it presses on, it, it perseveres. I think as we note these principles with uncommon faith, it's important to also note that, that there's going to be some enemies to living this life of uncommon faith. It's not, it's not uncommon because it's easy. And there's two enemies specifically that I think we need to note today, and it's the enemy of, of difficulties and the enemy of disappointments. The enemy of difficulties and the enemy of, of disappointments. You know, one of the greatest challenges for me in life is is adjusting my expectations of how life should go to the realities of how life actually is, is going, right? So often in my, in my life, I'm, I'm picturing life to look like this, and the way that life is unfolding is that it actually looks like that. And I have to adjust my expectations to the realities of, of how my life is actually going. And the time that, like, when I find myself in those situations from, from this to that, th- there's a gap there, Right? And maybe you found yourself in one of those gaps where, where I don't know, maybe it's marriage. And in your mind, you're, you're picturing marriage to look like this. And then you get married and you start to face some difficulties. You start to face some, some disappointments because marriage is starting to look like that. And you have a gap there. Or maybe it's a new job. And in and, and the interview process and, and conversations before you accepted the position, it, it made you expect it to look like this. And now it's unfolding a little bit and you're being met with some difficulties. You're being met with uh, some disappointments, and it's starting to look like that, and there's a gap. And what the enemy is so good at is when we're in those moments of a gap, filling it with disappointment, shame, filling it with anger, filling it with bitterness, filling it with offense, and what it causes us to do is it causes us to either give up on our faith completely because we're blaming God, or we're giving up on our faith completely because we're blaming ourselves because we think we didn't have enough faith for our life to not look this difficult. And neither of those are, are true. What I need you to hear today is your faith will be tested. Your faith will be tested. The funny thing about faith is that you don't need faith until you need faith. It's one thing to say that, that I have faith. It's a completely other thing to actually have to use it. Faith is this great thing until we actually have to put it into practice. What I can tell you in in life is until you've been in a situation where your back is completely up against a wall, life has you pinned, and you have used everything you know to use in your human brain. You've used every resource you know to use in your human brain. You've exhausted every strategy Google has to offer and you're still face-to-face with a situation that's completely out of your control. Until you found yourself in that situation, you've never had to use faith. 
Because here's what those situations are doing for us. If we go back to, to this chair, those situations where life has us pinned up against a wall, and we don't know what we're going to do to change our situation, what those circumstances are doing when life has that, when our faith is getting that kind of tested, we're being forced to choose, are we going to sit or are we going to stand? And those are the moments that we say, no, 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 no. My faith is not just here in a concept intellectually. My faith is going to be put into practice. It's going to move from assurance to conviction. The second part of that verse says it's conviction for the things not yet seen. I'm going to choose to live in faith and sit in the seat and trust God that I can see beyond the seen situation, right? I'm putting my faith in you to turn it around so that it can become with, through conviction by sitting and trusting you, God, that you can turn that whole situation around. That's why we have to understand that our faith, our faith will be tested. Our faith will be tested. Do not allow the difficulties of life to cause you to abandon your faith. The enemy of difficulties will, will, will come. The other enemy is the enemy of disappointments. And we live in a, in a fallen world. And what I can tell you this morning is that your life will have some disappointments. People will let you down. Places will let you down. Sports teams will let you down. Life will disappoint you. And, and generally speaking, the, the older we get, the more kind of skeptical the more jaded, the more cynical even we can become. I just was talking to a friend about that just a couple of days ago, that I don't understand why, but I, I just feel myself getting more like I just don't trust people. And I don't know that that's a good thing. And I had a perfect picture of this just a couple of, well, last weekend. I, I grew up, a, uh, I love college football. I, I really do. It, it's kind of like my, my thing. I, I still like many of you with Disney. I, I think college football is pure and it's magical, even though they're not, right? But I like to believe that it is. And so growing up, I was a, a, a college, uh, my college football team is the Florida Gators. And listen, I, I know we we're having such a good time till just then, but th that's just kind of how I grew up. I didn't go there, but my dad did. Anyway, it's a whole thing. So my family is, my dad and I are just talk all the time about the Florida Gators. And last week, Florida had a big game against Tennessee, which is a big rival. And anybody that's a real Florida fan did not feel good about that game. They thought Florida was going to get absolutely annihilated. And if you watch the game at halftime, Florida was up 26 to 7. Nobody saw that coming. And at halftime, my dad calls me. He says, you watching the game? I said, absolutely. This is unbelievable. What is going on? Is Tim Tebow out there playing for them? Like, I don't know what, I don't know what is going on. My dad says, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's a lot of game left. Protect your heart here because I don't underestimate Florida's ability to disappoint you, son. They're, they, they're, they're going to do it. They've done it time and time and time again. And here my dad is just completely shaping my faith and my belief and my trust in this team to actually pull out this win and this victory. And I think that that's a picture of, of what can happen sometimes in our own spiritual journey, in our own spiritual life. The, the longer that we follow God, the more we can feel disappointed and let down by people, and the more we can just find ourselves not believing that God can do what he says, what he, says he can do. Right, maybe we're battling with thoughts even now, like, hey, I'd love to try that, God, but man, I've just been hurt too many times. I've just seen how this goes. Maybe we're looking around a, a room like this, and we're, we're seeing young people that are passionate 
and excited for God, and we're thinking, yeah, just give him some time. He'll know. He'll find out. And, it, and it, just, it just gets into our heart if we're not careful, and it affects the way that we view God and the way that we see him. And I think Jesus knew this about human nature because in Matthew 19, Jesus looks at his disciples and he challenges them to fight and to have a childlike faith, faith like a child. And what that is a call to do is it's a call to have wonder and optimism. Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't ever lose your wonder with God. Don't ever lose the optimism that you have that God can do what he says he can do. If you've ever been around children, they, they are some of the most fun people to entertain, most fun people to, to just interact with because they'll believe anything, right? They'll trust you and they don't even know you. And I was thinking about, I was thinking about our kids uh, specifically. I have three kids. And I was thinking about this because growing up, uh, I, I had this magic trick that I would show them. I'm going to show you here real quick, church, and it's going to blow your mind. It really is going to blow your mind. Uh, and so here's, here's what it is. I got to set the mic down to do it. All right, you ready? Ready? Three, two, one. Three, two. Oh, oh, oh. There's more. Oh. Yeah, I got a, uh, what's this, a slea? No, I don't. I remember, I remember doing that magic trick with my kids growing up, and every time it would blow their mind, every time. They'd be like, Dad, how did, what, what, how did you do that? Right, remember the thumb, the thumb deal was another one, yeah, right? There's optimism. There's wonder that kids have that, that we just lose it. We just lose it. And I'm not saying we need, to, we need to just blindly trust people. We just need to blindly go with silly magic tricks. But, but we need to not lose our optimism in God, our wonder in God. And maybe today you're battling a little bit with feeling jaded, feeling skeptical, feeling maybe even cynical. I just want to ask you, through the Holy Spirit right now, I pray that, that you can go back to that day you gave your life to Jesus and the passion, the excitement, the wonder, the optimism. I pray that that can stir back up in you and that you can believe that God is who he says he is. That you can begin to, to use that to, to take awkward steps for him. You can use that to, to press on through the challenges that you're facing. Uncommon faith, it takes, it takes steps. As we close today, I, I want to go back and read the end of this story. Because I, I think it really illustrates a cool principle for us. Verse 33, it says, Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened, she came and she fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Let's not forget who this woman was. Let's not forget what this woman was culturally fighting. She wrestled her way through the crowd, making how I don't know how many people unclean, including Jesus, because she touched him. This woman eventually comes forward after Jesus is, is yelling at the crowd, who touched me? Hey, who, who just touched me? And she's hesitant to come forward because she thinks that Jesus is going to scold her, that he's going to rebuke her. Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's, he's one of the religious leaders. And it would be understandable why she would think that that he was going to punish her. But in fact, Jesus praises her. That's what I love about Jesus is he has this habit 
of using the most common people to be the example of what uncommon faith and uncommon lifestyle looks like. This woman was the most common person arguably in the entire crowd. Her name isn't even mentioned in the story, but Jesus uses her as the example for, for you and I to follow. The last thing Jesus says to her is he says, go in peace, your suffering is over. That word peace that Jesus uses in verse 31, it, it's a Hebrew word and it means shalom, shalom, and it means this, it means, it means peace in your mind, peace in your physical body, and peace in your soul. Shalom, it means that you're fully, completely at peace. What Jesus is telling this woman when he gives her that response is he says, I didn't just heal your physical body. I didn't just even heal the, the anxiety or the depression of, of your mind. Today, I healed your soul. Today, you put your faith in, in me and that changed everything. And I think that's the picture and the invitation of what Jesus is making for some of us today. Jesus is extending his shalom peace to many of us here this morning. I wanna just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes all across our auditoriums today. Because maybe right now you're feeling God speaking to you, tugging at your heart in a way that maybe you've never felt before. In this moment right now, the next two minutes is the whole reason we did church today. Because that tugging on your heart is, is Jesus tugging you into relationship with him. And let me walk you through what that means. The Bible calls it salvation, which basically just means relationship with God. Because maybe you found yourself today here and you've never started relationship with God. Others of you, you had a relationship with God at some point in time, but today is a day you need to reconnect with God. See, God created all of us, but we were born in a, a world that's not perfect, a world that's sinful. And what I know about you is the same thing I know about myself. We're not perfect. We're messed up. And I can't fix myself. We can't fix ourselves with our own strategies and our own ways. We need a savior. Jesus is that savior. God sent his one and only son to live the life that you and I could not live, to die a sinner's death on a cross. Three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering death, conquering sin, and giving you and I a way back to God the Father, a way to have relationship with him. If that's you today and you know you need to start relationship with God or you need to restart relationship with God, I wanna invite you right now just to raise your hand as a sign of surrender, a sign of faith, a sign of saying, God, I sense you, I feel you tugging at my heart and today is my day to start relationship with you. It's the best decision you're ever gonna make. Once you lift your hand up, you can put it back down. Come on, Oviedo and Sanford. If God is tugging at your heart right now, respond to it. I wanna lead you through a prayer right now. The words of the prayer aren't really important, but the decision that you're making in your heart is. So if you would, just from your seat there, just, just pray this prayer to yourself. Say, God, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on me. And thank you for this moment. The moment I know you're real. The moment I know I need you. God, I'm not perfect. I am a sinner in need of a savior. And Jesus, you are my savior. 
You are my Lord. I give you control of my life. Come into my heart. Forever make me different. I leave today changed in Jesus' name. God, I pray for all of us today. I pray that we would begin to live, God, with an uncommon faith. We would be a church that that exercises uncommon faith, God, that we would take whatever those awkward steps are that you've revealed to us. God, that we would press on through life's difficulties. We would persevere through the challenges. That we would know you, God, not just in our minds, but in our practice. We thank you, God, for this word. We thank you for the encouragement that comes from things like this, God. Let us leave different. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, church. Can you help me celebrate all those decisions that were just made? Amazing, amazing, amazing.